0: Thanks for joining us on Battle Walks as we walk across the great battlefields of Europe. If you're enjoying the show, why not become a member? Every week, you'll receive exclusive bonus episodes available only to subscribers, and you can listen to all our episodes completely ad-free. Click on the link in the show notes to join us via ACAST+.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
2: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Hello, I'm historian Matt McLaughlin, and thank you for joining us this Anzac Day to talk about two very special battlefields, iconic battlefields for Australians and New Zealanders. We're going to talk about Gallipoli, and we're going to talk about the Western Front in France and Belgium, the two places that during the First World War really defined The Anzac legend. And more importantly than just learning about the history is understanding what the battlefields can offer today, because there are many reasons you would walk the battlefields to try and connect with the original Anzacs. But the thing that is consistent across all these battlefields is the landscape. In many cases, the landscape hasn't changed dramatically from the First World War, particularly at a place like Gallipoli, but even in places like the Western Front, where it's reverted to farmland the battlefields still give up their secrets. There still is so much to find in the landscape. And, and walking the ground tells you more about the battlefield than you could ever find from just reading a book or watching a video like this one. It's just such a wonderful experience to walk the ground and learn about the men who fought and died on that ground whose footsteps you are following in. So thank you very much for joining me. It's going to be a wonderful a wonderful journey together as we as we learn more about the landscape and the ground on the battlefields, So we're going to start with the Western Front. It's it, it's a wonderful place to visit. It's, it's probably my favourite battlefield, the first battlefield I visited, and I always have a very special place in my heart uh, for the Western Front. And we're going to be joined now by someone who knows the Western Front very, very well. We've seen him before on these videos. You may have heard him on my Battle Walks podcast. He lives in the heart of the battlefields and he knows them better than just about anyone else. Coming to us from France, it's Pete Smith. Pete, it's always a great pleasure to have you joining us from the SOM. And as always, mate, I'm very jealous that you're over there and you can literally walk out the front door and be in the battlefields. I mean, we've we've discussed this in podcasts and videos before, but your home is right in the middle of the battlefields, isn't it? It
2: is indeed. And later on today, I will be walking out onto the battlefields because I'm on tour. So, uh, yeah, I'm all very exciting.
0: I mean, the important question, I think, Pete, that lots of people would ask is why do we walk the battlefields why can't we just read a book or read those riveting personal accounts that we often come across or watch amazing movies like 1917 or all quiet on the western front why do we actually have to get out there and get our boots dirty and walk the ground
2: well i think to answer that i can really just talk about myself um at the age of 10, I became interested in the war and uh, into my early teens. And it wasn't until my late teens um, that I actually had my first visit to the battlefields. And I have to say, I didn't feel that up to that point it was necessary. As a young child, I had my toy soldiers and my fort, And, and then I had my various things I'd collected, some memorabilia and uh, and photographs and, and books um, and for a long time I thought, well that's enough, I, you don't really need to be on the ba- uh, on, on the battlefield, but it, it is absolutely the most important thing, to get a feel of the landscape, to understand the landscape. And my experience tells me that everybody that I've ever taken onto the battlefield, who, who it's their first visit, they're experiencing it for the first time, is they stand there and they go, golly, or other words, to that effect... It's not what I expected. It's very different to what I expected and I should have come years be, uh, before because it starts to put things in perspective. Um, and I know the very first time I always quote this because it's the very first time I went to Anzac Cove and looked up uh, at the bluffs above Anzac Cove and the ridges. And I thought I'm going to get all the books out again and start again because it felt so different to actually be standing and walking on the
0: landscape. We've been talking about the area in Belgium, the area of Flanders, which is a very special area. I know both you and I absolutely love going up there and exploring the ground. This is the area of the famous Ypres Salient, uh, or Ypres as it's known to the local people in Flemish, where so much bloodshed occurred in such a tiny area. Just talk to me about what it means to walk the ground there and, 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 and what you seek out when you walk those battlefields that helps bring that history to life.
2: Well, first of all, you you need an understanding of where the positions are, so you can make sure you're in the right place. Um, Distance—it's the distance, it's the height, and of course, uh, on the salient uh, around deep, you've got these series of ridges, um, and and that's one of the most important things is to get that understanding of uh, of what the Germans could see because they are going to be on those ridges for uh, uh, most of the war, in fact, and so that understanding of actually walking into the lower ground where uh, were our lands where the british and, uh, and and empire forces were were based and the french and everybody else basically was facing the germans the belgians the, you know, to get that understanding of looking up and look and feeling how overlooked you are uh, that's very much a, an important part of that understanding of the landscape but also to get an idea of of the terrain literally the terrain you know we we have a general feeling that the great war was fought on a very flat landscape and certainly with the salient uh, this this flattish area around the the uh, uh, Epe itself the town we get a feel that, that that is also this very flat landscape but it's, it's not it's also a rolling landscape on one that needs to be explored um the real flat landscape that we associate with the war is in fact uh, french flanders uh, around uh, Fromelles and the area the area around there that, that is where it is totally flat But around deep, it's not flat. Even the salient overlooked by the ridges around, it's not flat. There are ripples and uh, little small ridges. And so, yeah, it needs to be experienced. It's very important to walk that landscape.
0: And Pete, we've walked it together many times, and it's always a a fascinating experience. And we've been to places like the iconic Hill 60, which still shows the devastation of, of four years of war. We've been to Tynecott Cemetery, where you can walk around those huge German bunkers that still remain and run your hand across the concrete. And we've been deep into Polygon Wood where you find more German shelters and and, and New Zealand shelters. What what are some of those tangibles that you really, that you always love going back to and visiting up in the Ypres Salient?
2: Well, you you you've pointed out the three things really. You you want to have a look at a, a piece of preserved landscape, and there is so little, uh, certainly in in our sectors, the se- the sectors that the uh, the Britain and the Empire uh, uh, looked after, fought over. There's a lot more pre- uh, preserved areas in uh, uh, in France, but uh, uh, in in the salient, not not that many actual preserved areas. So Hill sixty becomes uh, a magnet for people to go and have a look at a landscape that that retains. An element of what it was like at, at the time. Obviously, there's, there's plants and grass and trees and things growing there, but it is still a landscape that needs to be explored. And thankfully, we can still do that. And I think for a lot of people that perhaps even have a relative connection, a connection through their, their family history, through their genes that they want to literally to walk on a landscape that their relatives may have, uh, have walked on, then that is important to go somewhere like Hill 60 where you, where you can do that. Um, and then, then the enormous German blockhouses, of course, an awful lot have gone. They've been uh, destroyed by by uh, after the war, a deliberate effort to remove them. Um, uh, but there's still a, they were difficult to remove, obviously. So there's there's a lot around. So to actually go and touch one of those and and to get a feel of the of the weight of concrete, again, it's important. It, may, it you get an understanding, uh, even though nowadays the, the landscape around these uh, the bunkers have changed. But to walk and touch one of these bunkers, very important, uh, very important that they. That they are preserved and they are in Flanders, they are all preserved. Sadly, not so in France, they're not not preserved, but in uh, in, around Belgium and Ypres, then then they are preserved. They will hopefully remain now. Um, And it's great to go and touch them and to to have a look at them.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Pete. If you had a spare afternoon, if you were up in Ypres, you'd (laughs) enjoyed a lovely lunch and, you know, steak and chips and you'd had a cold (laughs) beer and you had an afternoon to yourself. Where would you go? Where would Pete Smith, who's walked the battlefields for thousands of hours, where would you go up in the salient?
2: I like walking the bluff. Uh, the uh, the bluff is uh, again on the ridges uh, and. Um I like the bluff and I do like Hill 60. We, we've talked about Hill 60 because I like walking on the, uh, on the original uh, landscape. But I also like the cemeteries and the stories within, uh, within the cemeteries. Now you have put me on the spot as to which cemetery I would, uh, I would go to. well, oh, I do like Polygon Wood. I have to say Polygon Wood, uh, New Butts British Cemetery. Uh, because there's so much to tell there I mean for those people that have ever been on tour with me they'll know that I get stuck there I can be there for a couple of hours when I should only be there for an hour Um, it's uh, it's a great it's just there's just so much to talk about there so yeah I'm going to say I'm going to actually say Butts New British Cemetery one of my favorite places to visit
0: and of course, the Australian uh, Fifth Division Memorial on the butt overlooking the cemetery. It's a very special place. You've, uh, you've probably nailed the spot I would go to as well. Um, we were talking about this interview, Pete, and there's nothing that, that demonstrates the tangible connection you can make with history. Uh, by finding relics on the battlefield. And you, as someone who's walked a lot of the battlefields, uh, have graciously agreed to show us some of the things that you found and just some of the amazing stories they can tell. So so what have you got there in this little uh, segment of show and tell that uh, that, uh, that you can show to us? Uh, it was a
2: difficult decision to decide what to show you. And um, you know, people like war-y things and, uh, to, to handle something that was there. I, I actually quite like personal things. But I thought let's show some of the, the larger lumps as, as were actually uh, you're going to be physically looking at this um, so i'll i'll bring up the the first thing here and what we have here is a, a rather mangled and, and crushed german mess tin. Um, th- this was fa- actually found on the somme in, uh, in in this case but it uh why i found it am- immediately uh moving is this damage you can see uh here this is caused by a plow this is a plow that's uh, that, that's that's crushed it uh, this damage on this side, and, and, and they go right the way through to the other side, fairly fairly obviously. These are actually uh, shrapnel holes. Uh, at first I thought they were bullet holes, but I, I looked carefully and the size is too big. These are lead shrapnel balls that are punched through uh, this, this German uh, mess team. Um, and I just found that amazingly moving. Mainly because, there's another reason, these black stains you can see on it are, are from the fires where this sat... In a in a in a, a fire to heat it up, whether it had stew or something in it, and it's it's left a residue on it, and I, and that's a direct connection with that man that that carried this, um, and and oh, you have to say almost certainly died with this on his back because these were carried on their backs, and to get these this damage on it, then then he would be lucky to survive. But there is a hope that he dropped it, uh, but I think it's unlikely. Um, so yeah, so that's the that's the first thing, and that's something I like a a piece of personal kit. With with rather horrific battle damage on it from a, a shrapnel ball. The other reason is, I suppose, I find it interesting is because the the artillery and the uh, uh, is the great killer of the Great War and the, those shrapnel balls air, air based burst, bursting in the air. Uh, and uh, uh, so it's it's a an interesting piece to show people and to bring home the fact that uh, that artillery was the big killer of the Great War. So that's 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 the first thing. And I'm going go to go to say um. Just sure. on
0: that subject, Pete, that's a fascinating um, find. And you're right; those personal stories that you can tell from items, or that you can speculate about, are all, the, all, you know, always the most moving. And it's, um, it, it still happens all the time. We, were, you and I, were on the battlefields on my signature tour six months ago, and outside a cemetery, I just leaned down, and in the in the side of the road bank was a, a small piece of a, a British water bottle. You could tell from the blue enamel of this water bottle. With two very neat bullet holes straight through it in that small little piece. So again, what was the story of the man that was carrying that on his hip or in his pack at the time? And hopefully he had dropped it already, but you know it's 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 unlikely, as you say. The men the men didn't throw these things away; they were important items, and they carried them with them. So, what story did that tell? The the, the two neat little bullet holes in the uh, in the water bottle. Yeah,
2: uh, and then I'm going to go to something which uh, which is unusual that it, that it's actually survived, and it's this. So. <laughs> So what is this? Um, well, I have to say why it's unusual that it's still here is because it's solid brass. And this, the field uh, um, uh, walkers, the walkers they were called metal walkers in the nineteen twenties, who walked these uh, the fields all, all over the battlefield areas. They were licensed and and they picked things like this up to uh, to sell to be melted down and to and to be recycled. Effectively, what this is is it's uh, it's the nut. Off, um, an 18 pound of an 18-pounder field gun. So it's the nut that covered over actually the, the the locking points. This protected the locking points that held the wheel on. So um of rather large uh nuts from an 18-pounder field gun. Uh, there's an interesting little story connected with this. I don't know anybody that's found one of these because of that very reason. Uh the there's big lumps of solid brass and they will be melted down. And the day that I actually found this, I I was pleased to say the least and I took it down to a little local cafe and the cafe owner I was showing it to him and the cafe owner leant behind the counter and pulled one up exactly the same and I said well, when did you find that he said today and he'd never found one before either so two of us found one on the same day and neither of us had ever seen one before so just one of those odd quirks of uh, of, uh, of fate so yeah a uh, cover for a uh, uh, a, a wheel off a, off a field gun for the locking uh, bolt on a on a field gun.
0: That is extraordinary, Pete. I do love those little connections. When uh, when it's it's almost like it's preordained, isn't it? That his the, the history wants to be revealed. The battlefields want to give up their secrets, and um, it's, it's fascinating how often little uh, little coincidences like that occur. But you're right; that is a rare find. That's a and it tells another part of the story. We we focus a lot on the infantry, but as you said before, artillery was the great killer of the First World War, and finding artifacts that you can link to artillery guns is a, is a pretty rare experience. So that's a, that's a, well done. That's a great find. Absolutely great find. What what else do you have this, for us in your little well, we, bag of tricks?
2: We did this discuss what I was going to show earlier, but I didn't tell you one of them because I just thought, I just thought it's interesting to bring up. Now, that. So, what is that? I'll put it on something so you can see it a bit clearly. Now, it took me a good year to figure out what this was. I knew it was something interesting, and I thought electrical uh, for a long time. Um, but it's not. It, it's actually one of the internal workings of a mouth organ, so that is a a, a little mouth organ part of a mouth organ. Ah, um, can't do a mouth <laughs> organ noisy, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so that is a really personal bit of kit. That is a soldier who brought a mouth organ onto the battlefields and. We like to think just dropped it and lost it, uh, but I think again it's unlikely from where it was found. So, uh, but but I just found a, just a very personal piece of kit, a part of a a, a soldier who's come to the battlefield with his mouth organ and had it in his top pocket as he went into combat. So yeah, just just moving really.
0: It's hard not to get emotional about these things, isn't it, Pete? I mean, I found some very personal items on the battlefield, and I know you found a lot of personal items that link very directly to a soldier, and even if you don't know who that soldier is. You can't help but be connected through the through the centuries with with that soldier when um, when you realise you're holding something in your hand and the last person to hold it was the soldier who dropped it perhaps at the time that he was killed or yeah. wounded it's it's extraordinary it is and I
2: quite like to a certain extent that uh, uh, that that fact that we don't know who it is that that's uh, uh, anonymity that that we do not know who who it belonged to because you can then use it to represent uh, and i do i use all of these things uh, i can't i can no longer take weaponry rounds to, to show my students when i'm when i'm guiding so you take little personal things and uh, and they can represent anybody from where you find them you may have an idea of who it is but it's only a guess and i quite like that i like that that you're telling the story of everybody in one in one object so I think that's uh, that's that's quite important so we'll move on to the the next one which is this is a piece of, uh, of, of, of weaponry so this is an SLme standard rifle uh, of the Empire forces uh, and Britain so it's um, a relic there's not not a great deal left all the woodworks rotted away it's just the metalwork uh, we can see here we can see the uh, the trigger the magazine um, the bolts would have been here for uh, for cocking it. So what? These are not common to be found on the battlefields, but but they're not uncommon because they get caught in the the, the spines of the ploughs when they're ploughing, and that's why they nearly always have a bent barrel, uh, as this one does. This one uh, was found just literally up the road from where where I live. It was by the side of uh, of uh, Delville Wood, and it was literally propped up like that on the on the the, the bank. And I picked it up and. I always take them home to have a look at, but they didn't need to do much. Can you see the magazine? This is the magazine here. That is a lead shrapnel ball embedded in the rifle magazine. So this has a a lead shrapnel ball and, again, an air burst blast. And one of the shrapnel balls has embedded itself in the magazine of the rifle. And if anything brings it home, it's something like that, where you still have the weapon or uh, the, 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 the projectile that did the damage to both the rifle and almost certainly the man that was carrying it, um, and there's one still embedded in the in the magazine. So a very moving, and one of my favourite things to actually to show people. And again, it, it just brings it home. It it brings it home you know, to to see damage caused by by, uh, by lead shrapnel balls.
0: That's just extraordinary, Pete. I know that relics like that are unusual to find. That's a, a very rare find, obviously. What a what a what a fantastic connection with that soldier. Just in terms of general relics, things left over from the war, how common is it to find things out in the battlefields?
2: Um in the twenty years that I've been here, it's decreased. It it has definitely decreased. In the ploughing seasons, uh, you would you could w- walk along the sides of the fields. You didn't even need to walk uh, across the fields, which you can. There is a right to roam here in France. You can uh, you can do that. It's a little bit more fiddly in in, in Belgium, um, but the right to roam here means that you can actually walk uh, uh, onto the onto the battlefields. And we, you, know, you would find things thrown to the side. The farmer's the, uh, um, a rifle wrapped right around the, the the spines of the plough. He Doesn't want it. He throws it to the sides. Uh, no, anything else that's big and throws it to the side? So you could find things at the sides. You very rarely do that nowadays. There's a lot of people that collect. Lots of people that walk the the, the battlefields. Little things, and it's those things that I've always enjoyed more. I, and I'm not a. I'm not a. Well, I, think I don't collect any more at all. Things relics from the battlefield from off the fields any longer, unless it's something just small and, and interesting and personal that I can I can just pop into a, a, a little box, um, and. And I hasten to add, this is all done by just walking, never digging, never metal detecting. This is your mark one eyeball, just looking in the paddocks as you walk across the, the fields and, and, and paddocks. Um, and and to me, that's, that's fair game. I know not everybody agrees with this. Not everybody agrees that things should be picked up. But if you see the new mechanised rotary ploughing and the way things are actually uh, uh, in modern farming, E- everything gets destroyed. It, g- it gets destroyed, it gets broken, it gets broken to smaller or smaller pieces so that it's gone. And I actually quite like that, as you will have gathered, the people who have heard me talking before, like that connection of being able to show somebody something that was actually there, something that that, that belonged to a man and a, a, a man carried. So I have no qualms of picking things up off the surface that are on the surface, because if you don't pick them up, then the next time the rotary uh, 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 a plough comes across, or the uh, 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 one of the various machines they use now for breaking up the soil, uh, it will destroy it, and it eventually it will it will all be gone. So I quite I quite like that, and and certainly I I, I feel that because I'm using it to to explain to people as I'm doing now, that it's worthwhile keep keeping those things. But not everybody will, will agree agree with that. Some people think that things should be left in the fields, and they should should uh, uh, that's where they should should remain. Um, but no, I think mark one eyeball just walking on the surface, picking things up, I don't see a problem with that at all.
0: I agree with that too. I don't pick things up anymore. I usually just pick something up and take a photo of it unless it's you know highly personal or something very important. But um, also we you know I've occasionally seen people say that this these things should be put in a museum. And um, I, I think anyone who's spent some time walking the battlefields would know that the detritus of war that still covers the battlefields um, is you know would not be accepted by any museum anywhere. It's, it's it's just really leftover, leftover junk to to many people. It's only us that care about the history that understand its significance. So so it's it's not some things that would end up in museums. It's not things that you know. It's these are these are relics that are, 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 are deeply personal to the people who discover them.
2: I think interestingly, I did have a barn. Well, I used to run a, a bed and breakfast uh, here on the Somme, and I had a barn that was absolutely full of uh, of. Uh, relics for people to go and have a look at. When we closed the bed and breakfast, I heard that the valve Centre, which was expanding and and, uh, and creating a little museum, wanted basically a glass floor and beneath it they wanted the, the de- de- detrius, is that the correct word, of of the um, of the battlefield beneath this glass floor. And so I donated all of mine. Um, so if ever you go to the Teat Bell Centre on the Somme and look beneath the glass floor then all of that, the, that 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 detrius from the battlefield came from my barn and so it, it ended up in a museum and it, and it w- was used as, as the whole reason for collecting it was so that people could see and experience it and, and understand a
0: little about what it going on. Well, that's really wonderful, Pete. I, I think that's, uh, I certainly agree with you that uh, that uh, it's it's great that these things are being seen. Do you have anything else from your uh, little uh, goodie box to show us? Or?
2: Yeah, final thing is something that's 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 rare and unusual really and, and took again, took a bit of fiddling out uh, 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 or thinking and looking at books to fit, uh, figure out what it was. This is the emergency uh, tripod that went underneath the barrel of um, a Vickers machine gun. Um, a Vickers machine gun is on a mount, so it sits on the mount. But in an emergency, if you've lost the 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 mount, uh, this was fastened to the front. This bit goes around the barrel, the fluted barrel. These are the remains of the feet. The, the feet were, uh, were a lot longer, about to there. Metal, they've, rot, they've rotted off. But this is uh, just an interesting and very rare bit of kit that went underneath uh, the uh, the barrel of a of a Vickers machine gun. Um, so yeah, so again, it's something that. Uh, a part of my enjoyment is actually doing that—is identifying what these things are, trying to figure out what these uh, what these things are. Uh, and it took a little while with it, uh, with this one, but that's what it is. It's an emergency mount from a <laughs> got lumps falling off it. Emergency mount from a, a, a Vickers
0: machine gun. Well, as you said, Pete, these are, you know, to anyone else, to people who don't care about the history, these are just lumps of weird twisted metal, but it's yeah. it's, 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 <laughs> uh, it's the uh, the passion that we have for the history that, that makes them significant. So I think it's really wonderful that you've got them to show to people as you lead them around the battlefields. And indeed on, on episodes like this, Pete, it's been a, re- a really wonderful uh, exploration of a few very little important pieces of history and a reminder of why it's important to get out and walk the ground and the connection you can make with the landscape so mate i can't wait to get back over there again i'm due over there very soon to be on the battlefields i'll look forward to enjoying a cold beer with you mate and getting out and doing just what we've talked about walking the ground and 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 getting uh getting in touch with that landscape so pete thank you very much for joining us pleasure Mike.
1: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds
0: The Western Front certainly is an extraordinary battlefield, and and I love getting over there and walking the ground in in Belgium and Belgium and and uh, in the Somme in France. It's just such a very special place. But I think what we would say is that the Anzac legend w- matured and grew up on the Western Front, but it was born at Gallipoli. We all know the story of Gallipoli. The reason we're here commemorating Anzac Day is because of that landing on the shores of Gallipoli on the twenty fifth of April, nineteen fifteen, and. Gallipoli really is a unique battlefield in the world. There's nowhere else you can go where you can still see the terrain that the Anzacs had to face during that campaign. And it wasn't just the Turks that proved a formidable enemy, it was the ground as well and the the, the ridges, the valleys, the the steep country the Anzacs had to face. It was it was an impossible task. They'd been set and yet they stuck to it very bravely for for nine very long months. And it's wonderful to go and walk the ground at Gallipoli. You can connect to history in a way that you can't on any other battlefield. It's a place that I love going there and walking the ground. And I've had the privilege on a number of occasions to go there with this man that we're going to introduce now. Our next guest, it's historian Peter Hart. Pete, it's always a great pleasure to catch up with you. And I I should say that uh, it wasn't that long ago. A few years ago, we had the great pleasure of catching up together actually in Gallipoli, which was a pretty amazing experience and I think when you tell people you've been to Gallipoli with Peter Hart they look at you with a mix of uh admiration and <laughs> compassion um but <laughs> maybe it was a great trip we, we scaled ridges we walked uh, valleys and washaways and it was a really great trip but it, it sums up what we're talking about today mate which is the importance of getting out and walking the ground I mean let, let's just put it plainly why why is it not enough to sit there and read a history book or watch a documentary why should you get out and walk the ground you, you never get you never get the same
3: experience. You, I mean, I, I, I'd read all about Gallipoli before I went. But when you actually go and when you stand there at V Beach or W Beach and, and you realize this is where it happened and you can look around, see what they saw at the time. Yeah, all right. This things have changed a bit, but the, the terrain doesn't change. Really, it's just the same. You can, for instance, at V Beach, you could see that low bank, that low uh, bank behind which people were crouching in that famous photograph. At W Beach, you can see the piers; they're still there; they're they're still visible. You can see some of the barges on the beach. Uh, it 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 it's a ama- it's an amazing feeling. And if if you've really got into a subject, and 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 I was so keen on Gallipoli. I, I mean, I'd spent my I was a weird child. <laughs> I remember my childhood reading about things like Gallipoli. To actually be there is not just exciting, but somehow you learn so much more. You gain so much more. The the what we, I think, uh, I think, commercial people call it added value, and you get enormous amounts of added value by being there. And uh, and it's not being part of it. You'll never be part of it. But you are where it happened. It's it's fantastic that.
0: Mate, a question I've never actually asked you before is you've written a lot of books about Gallipoli, but had you been to the peninsula when you wrote your first book? No, uh, I hadn't. Uh, uh, that was uh,
3: uh, Defeat at Gallipoli with Nigel Steele. And uh, no, I hadn't. And that's one reason that I'm so keen on it now. And I tell people you have to go because I went for the first time in a joint uh, uh, a joint visit with the uh, Australian War Memorial and the Imperial War Museum, and they took they took us along as so called experts. What was interesting was I knew I knew the maps, so I did actually, and I used to I played the game. I played it on one of your tours, the as one, well, where I just learn everything with my somewhat strange memory. I forget it about a day later, and then go, "Well, that'll be the 11th Battalion, the 21st <laughs> Battalion," and I learned all the ridges to annoy the Aussies. Uh, and I knew them, um, but that's theoretical knowledge. And it was when I got there that I, I mean, I called it defeated. Gallipoli. I never thought Gallipoli would succeed, uh, or could have, but when I got there, you realize it's just in front of you, especially at Anzac. You just stand there and go, ah, oh. <laughs> it's is impossible. Uh, it doesn't matter. People say the British made mistakes or the Australians made mistakes. Yeah, they did. But also, when you get there, you realise how good the Turks were, what a fantastic defence they put up. And I know to you as well, that's a very important part of the story. Uh, And when you get there and you stand where the Turks were and you see (laughs) the Australians, for instance, had to advance, the New Zealanders, you just think, what a hiding to nothing they were onto. I mean, I nearly swore there. I know you would be shocked at me swearing but um it, bad language just spring to mind
0: when you look at what they had to do at anzac i'm not kidding it's hard to avoid that uh, that feeling mate when you stand there i know exactly what you mean how how did it compare you'd looked at maps and you'd written books about it and 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 studied it in depth and spoken to a lot of veterans how did it compare when you're actually standing there at helles or anzac or suvla to all the information you'd gathered over the decades uh, it it uh, it was decades by then
3: before I yeah because it was two thousand and one I think I went and I'd been doing it since about the uh, late sixties. Um, things were much more dramatic, and for instance, uh, the razor uh, between Pluggies and uh, the, uh, Russell's top is much more jagged. It's much more dramatic than I thought. That the terrain is worse than I thought in every way. I I I sort of got an intellectual appreciation of how bad it was. For it, it's not just there, Achi You see how it dominates Helles. Yes, it's not that big a hill. It's not, but it does dominate it. And then again, you see the gully ravine. You see how dramatic it is. How it how it splits the line. But one other thing that I, I shared with you, Matt, is that, and this didn't happen on my first trip because the Australian woman world didn't want to go there. I wanted to see Kilid Bahir. Now Kilid Bahir. No one goes to Kilibahir here because we never got there. In fact, we had a great day during the 25th of April when we went everywhere <laughs> that, that we never got to. Uh, so, uh, but we went to Kilibahir. here. That was the real first day objective or second day object second day objective. Achibabu was the first day objective, and when you get there, and that's. Actually seeing that you understand why why killed by here is the real objective because it totally dominates the straits. You remember standing there and in between swearing at me for having dragged you up there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, quite verbal, as, as well as the, the, the other the other one um, with a cone-shaped hill. I forgot. It's Maltepe. Malte- forgot te- a, Maltepe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of swearing done there. <laughs> but if you don't <laughs> see these things, you don't appreciate the ground. And and Maltepe and here are important. You've got to get up there and see them. To, that's when you understand. Now, that's not an, an ordinary trip, but at least you can see those features dominating the landscape. Um, as you drive about, at Helles, and you can see from uh, Anzac and Hellas, you can see Khalid here uh, uh, We have a friend, a mutual friend, Blent, who calls it the big bastard, uh, because there it is. Whatever you think of the the, the objectives, uh, like Bahia, you look at Kilid Bahir. it's a monster. It just is like a wall across the across the uh, the way they have to go, uh, and that's what they have to take to dominate the straits, which is, of course, why they were there.
0: It was a a pretty special day Pete and we had the luxury of having a few extra days up our sleeve and what we always say about Gallipoli is that the landscape and the terrain that was as much of an enemy as the as the Turkish soldiers not to take anything away from the Turks they did a brilliant job but I that did. terrain is is extraordinary and I loved that day mate because that was we called it the what if day we went to all yeah. the sites that these weren't battlefield sites because there'd been no fighting there because no one ever got close to them. The Allies didn't get anywhere near these sites, but they were objectives. These were they the were. objectives that the Allies were supposed to take. And by going there, it enabled us to understand more about the history and what, what Gallipoli would have evolved into had the Allies taken their early objectives. So, you know, Maltepe, which was an early Anzac objective, and obviously Kilip Bahir, the big plateau at Helles that the British and French were supposed to capture. I mean, it was a pretty extraordinary day.
3: It was fabulous, but it it just it, it, I should an ordinary tour go there no because it that that no you don't have to, but they should have them drawn to their attention. you can see them as dominant figures on the landscape. That's how you understand the landscape. you need to see it and understand why it's important and 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 that's all you need to do if you have an extra two or three days, yeah, fine, go up them and swear at each other why are we doing this it's steep <laughs> couldn't we drive up here that was maltepe you could drive up there we later discovered most of the way anyway oh but the, we walked that, it because we're because we're
0: hardy so we walked oh they're mm, not sure how
3: hardy we are but we yeah it was a great day and um uh, but but that's that's what the landscape and when you get to Souvla Bay as well, and I, I always call it a big country. And you understand that operations there are very very different. They're big. They're, the, the The distance between places isn't a couple of hundred yards like it is at Anzac or even at Hellers. It, it's a couple of miles. Um, it's still minute compared to the Western Front, though. Fantastic places uh, uh, and so beautiful. Uh, even your black and soul, Matt, as a, as a captain of industry, would we, we, uh, <laughs> warm to some of the views. And, and uh, so you can see Samothrae and you can see Imbros and uh, the islands. It's just wonderful. What a place.
0: I'll, I'll skip over that bit and just say that I do absolutely <laughs> enjoy going to Gallifoli. I love it. It's one of my favourite places. And we mentioned these places that we don't go to on a regular tour, but one place that you love taking people to on a tour that I know is Gully Ravine. Um, And this is a big scar in the landscape that cuts up the the sort of the western side of the peninsula in the Helles sector. Just tell us a little bit about that, about why you like to take people there and, and what Gully Ravine tells you about the Helles story it's such an amazing place
3: from from the beach which is exactly as it was and even has an old lighter that was wrecked on the on the la- of the last day of the campaign it was wrecked uh, 9th, 9th of uh, January 1916 it was wrecked there it's still there the remnants of it but when you when you go into the gully and you go past where the horse lines were well, all those pictures i've seen so many times there's where the horses were there's the bones from when we shot the horses <laughs> in in the uh, in the gully and you go up and it gets deeper and deeper and you suddenly realize oh this is it's like a gigantic communication trench and then the cliffs start on either side and it's just um, an amazing place um now if you're that way inclined people say it's haunted by the ghosts of all who die that that's nonsense but what it is is you just realise what a terrible place it was to fight in. And uh, when you get to those two barricade trenches, the Turkish barricade trenches, it's not a barricade, it's, it's actually a ge- geological feature, but they're about 80 yards apart. I remember showing them in the British front line and the Turkish line just ahead, and they had to attack from there. And there was no trees or bushes then as there are, and perhaps in films now, they're, they're, they're just amazing. And we have accounts of people who were there and, and to be there and to just stand uh, at that barricade and think about charging forward in a bare, sort of empty valley. And, um, wow, I, you know, I don't know how people did it. Uh, um, the different generation, different world. I mean, our, I'm not saying that our soldiers are not as good as, they, they, you know, soldiers are soldiers, there, but what a, what a thing it was. And Gully Ravine is an amazing environment. There's just so much to see in there. Um, you you really get a feel and you can't see Achi Baba everywhere else, you can see Achi Baba you can't see it from the gully and they couldn't see you, hence when I refer to it as a gigantic communication trench, everything funnelled up there Uh, I remember, I mean we sing a song tramping up the gully, tramping up the gully (laughs) goes on for about two minutes we're tramping up the gully Uh, but but Uh, that's funny but a lot of them came back in ambulances and there's some amazing pictures of the ambulances going over the rough terrain at the bottom because it's a stream and rocks and everything and in the mud and everything and imagine that matt with uh, a broken pelvis or a broken leg or 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 any you know shot through the chest you're not going to survive that but um so it's a it's a place to think it's a place to enjoy if you like it's a place but Place to think definitely um and and to appreciate what people went through
0: it's um I'm actually um working on a book about the Battle of Crithia, which took place down in that area well, several battles, and all of them were the same outcome yeah. as you well know pete um but it it just reminds me as well the soldiers not only had to fight in these terrible conditions but also with just such a lack of information, Gully ravine was described during the first Battle of Crithia, so you know in the days after the landing. As a small stream on the left of the of the British line, how do they, how do you think the first British troops felt when they got there and found a hundred foot ravine leading down to the small stream? There is a small stream, uh, but it's at the bottom of a ravine. It's not just running through the countryside. I, just Until a storm.
3: Until a storm when it was a raging torrent. Of to good, they get everything at Gallipoli. I I, exactly. I I mean. Uh, I, 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 on the podcast, Gary Bain would would say that soldiers wouldn't complain, but they'd observe a lot when they found that <laughs> ravine in their path, and they'd observe quite a lot. Uh, yeah, uh, it is on the maps, and it is fairly clear on the maps. But there's a, a great—I uh, think his name was Bertram, Captain Bertram, a Royal Naval officer who said, uh, "Yes, it's, these things are, these these features are plainly visible, but uh, I've always found that army officers can't read maps." It's probably right.
0: <laughs> well, um, mate. Uh, at the other end of the peninsula, we we went from on one day we did Gully Ravine, but then another day we were way up in the northern sector of ANZAC, and we did the infamous Cheshire Ridge, um, which was a great day. I mean, that was that was probably the first day, and you you sort of you blooded me <laughs> early on in our trip because we literally we blooded. took an opportunity to explore exactly exactly, um, but we took an opportunity to explore that absolute mad tangle of country that the that the august offensives took place in the big wheeling maneuver that the anzacs and the british took when they tried to break out of the anzac sector and that was some tough country i know that you wouldn't normally go there and take uh, and take passengers <laughs> on a tour there what an extraordinary totally spot not. that is though
3: <laughs> it's well it's not safe it's not dangerous but it's not safe for a touring party um it is an extraordinary part it's a razor ridge like the razor i, I mean at point uh, in parts you're just walking along something and there's a fair chance if you trip twice you'd hurt yourself it's one of those ones where i always say you need to trip twice to really do yourself damage um but then london traffic's like that uh, i'm sure sydney traffic's <laughs> like that as well um, um but it it is so, and and what I I always wanted to go to small tabletop. I'd stood on large tabletop, which is halfway down Rodden Ridge, where the New Zealanders met before going up there uh, on the attack on the August sixth, I think. Head's going funny, um, and I'd always wanted to get to it. It looked so dramatic. And then we actually first time I went there, I went with two real tough, roughy soldiers. Just because I thought it might be an idea to make sure I was all right, because Blent wasn't available that day. But what a trip it was. I can't remember whether Blent was with us that day. I don't think he was, was he? No, I can't remember. Uh, no, uh, not the day we went, no. No, oh, well, we were. I wouldn't recommend it on your own, that's for certain. With two, you're all right. I mean, you've just got, to... it's just amazing. And the perception, ga- Matt, 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 Gary, <laughs> hello, Gary. <laughs> the, the perception, Matt, is amazing. You, you stand on, say, little tabletop and look across that tangled web of ground that basically the August offensive was going to get. And again, you realise you don't need a map in one sense. You can just look at it and think, this is impossible. This is impossible. It, it would be impossible with, if the Turks weren't armed. <laughs> They'd still probably stop you um it's just the ground is amazing uh and there's so many wonderful pictures of that area of ground that we've all seen uh but to actually be there to to just see it and and you might say well you've just how can we go and see that you've just said it's dangerous well again it's it's for an extra day and with an experienced guy but what about the walk down rhododendron ridge which a lot of your tours do do or our tours do and you get most of the view from there and not so much of the danger (laughs)
0: I think for me, Pete, Cheshire Ridge was really special because it sums up that perspective. We, we we can read as much as we like about the August offensive and how it was going to be impossible. We can, even if you see it, you can see it from the high ground at Walker's Ridge and from the neck, you can look down on that country and you go, wow, that's some pretty tough country. When you're in it, when, you know, the the uh, crazy Peter Hart is leading you up Ridge and down Dale and through thorn bushes and it's it's... You just think, how do you fight in this? Plus, they were doing it in the dark. Plus, they were all racked with dysentery. They didn't know where the Turks were and buggers were shooting at them. You know, how? I, you know if, if I said to you, Pete, start at the beach and walk up to the top of that hill and I'll see you at the top, you would arrive, if you arrived at all, dishevelled, dying of thirst, cut to bits by thorns. It would be a tough trek today without people shooting at you.
3: Well, how I in have... the
0: hell were they supposed to do it in the dark
1: with in the, the dark, Turks holding impossible.
0: them up with dysentery? Like, how would you do it? And, you don't, and, and that's the point. You don't understand until you go and walk the ground and experience it for yourself. I can't
3: remember that I took you to Taylor's Gap, which is where uh, Monash's uh, Fourth Australian Brigade went through. When you see it, it's amazing. But also you realise that two or three Turks on either side could just embugger you completely. What do you do? Do you go after them? Do you stop? Do you carry on? Do you press on? You don't know where you are. When you come out, you come out. I have been lost in daylight as an experienced Gallipoli guide, wandering in the hills between, um, for instance, Hill 60, Hill 100, and then up, to, uh, up the spur to, uh, to, to the top. It, it's just amazing country. Uh, which ridge are you on? Which, which value in? And, and it's the point I always make, going back to Anzac, if you're on top of a ridge, you're dead because the Turks will shoot you. If you're not on top of the ridge, you can't see where you are. Which ridge are you on? Are you on first ridge, second ridge, third ridge? Then there's all the other ridges that weren't named. They are they are named now. That's what I learned to annoy the Aussies. But uh, I've forgotten most of them. But, wow, it's very exciting. I'm, you're making me – I'm going back there in, a, in May, so I can't wait. You're, you're freshening my appetite.
0: I'm getting excited by it as well. And I think the other thing that it revealed, too was, I mean, we found relics from the fighting. we we found, sadly, we found a number of human remains. I mean, yeah. this is country that you know, tiger country, as Vietnam veterans would call it. it's it's places that people don't normally go to. and you don't have to get far off the beaten track to just to just get this incredible perspective of what the the Gallipoli battlefields were like. It's just a, I, I say that to people always when they go to Gallipoli, it's, it's great to go there in a car and a coach and, and look around but just even even take 20 minutes get off the beaten track go into the scrub have a look around see what you can find there's just so much to discover that's still left over from the campaign it's really quite extraordinary isn't it yeah we found i mean it, obviously you have
3: to treat them with We've human remains are it's not like the western front where they stop everything and investigate uh, gallipoli they, they put you put the they're reburied you put them on it's it's quite chastening sometimes. So uh, I think you went, you've you been on Hill 60 with me at the back of Hill 60 where the Turks were. There's bones still in the field. You see knuckles, bits of skull. Uh, it's, it's um, it's, It makes you think. But then that's... Battlefield tourism is a funny thing because it's a mixture, isn't it? It's a mixture of wanting to experience what they did, but not the reality, obviously. It's about paying your respect. It's about... It's about the, just the drama of the story. It's about wanting to understand. And for me, I know the other things are all important, but for me, it's wanting to understand. And that's the thing about the ground. When you look at Hill 60, for instance, you can see why the Turks had to get... It's a two-humped hill. There's one hump, there's the other. Uh, we had to get that one so we could see all the back of the Turkish lines behind uh, W Hills and the rest of it. They had to get that so they could see... The, the link between Anzac and Suvla. Neither have got... They both held their bit. They couldn't get the other bit. And it's when you're on hill 60, you understand that. I never really understood the importance of hill 60. It's not a towering hill. Guess how tall it is. Uh, 61 feet (laughs) yeah i never know whether it's feet or meters so i shouldn't have asked that (laughs) i think it's feet
0: i think it's feet it's the weird thing is it's feet in gallipoli and it's um meters on the western front so hill 60 on the western front in belgium is 60 meters but hill 60 on gallipoli is 60 feet high which is not even that doesn't even count as a hill that's a that's a slight incline
3: you barely notice some of them yeah um but there you go. Uh, um, I mean, something that would never happen to Pete Smith is uh, the first time I ever visited Eaps, I went straight over Pilkin Ridge without noticing it. There you go. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and yet, Pilken Ridge, Pilken Ridge is very important, as Pete would tell you. Uh,
0: other Pete, sorry. Lots of Pete's. Well, um, Pete, you mentioned um, the importance of understanding and how you explore and discover. And uh, there's a program that's currently going on that we were great beneficiaries of which I think is fantastic, where the Turkish authorities are uncovering sectors of the battlefield that are buried beneath the scrub. And we've talked about this quite a bit in podcasts. We made a video about it on YouTube, about exploring trenches at Gallipoli. But I think it's absolutely fantastic, mate. They, they're cutting the scrub. So so there's areas of every just about everywhere at Gallipoli is choked in scrub. But what I didn't realise was if you cut that scrub away, there's incredible preserved trench systems beneath it. So they're cutting the scrub just at ground level, but leaving all the roots in place to hold the soil in place. And then for a year or two, it's exposed, and then Mother Nature is um, is, is reclaiming it. And and we explored the trenches at Silt Spur near Lone Pine in the Anzac. Amazing. Sector. Mate, what a day that was. I mean, uh, you've I've asked you about it before, but just give us your impressions of walking through that complete Anzac trench system.
3: Well, you'd found that map from the 11th Battalion. Was it 11th Battalion? Anyway, I think, I think it's 20th. the 10th. I think it's the, the 10th, 10th yeah. yeah. Our memories, you know... And you'd find, plus, oh, we were plus. we we tracked every. You could for every the support line reaching back to the next ridge. The sorry, the uh, the communication trench that that was a tunnel. Then it was collapsed. Now, but then we found the other tunnels that were still there that went through to the front line. We found the front line. All the fighting bays are there. They're clearly. Exactly. Remember you had the map saying you should find and then we went and that and the best pe- the periscope posts. You remember the two periscope posts where some poor sod about sixty, eighty yards from the tur- next Turkish ridge, had to go with a periscope and there was a sort of tunnel out to it and then they just stand there. Oh I'd I'd have wet myself, I think. Um but um that was that was special and then right at the end there was the uh the, the machine gun post and the uh, the sniping post right at the end, Five Finger or whatever it's called. Um, that was special. But it's not the only one. They've also now done uh, uh, Popes. Uh, uh, and and it, it's just amazing. Uh, all the back, you know, Dead Man's Hill, where me and you got scratched a bit, where we found that barbed wire, that's cleared now. Where I've got that wonderful account from people, a, a bloke I interviewed who was there, and he described being wounded there and all the people being killed on Dead Man's Ridge. We know how he got that name, Matt. Uh, and then tumbling <laughs> himself back down the, the, the into Bloody Angle. What a place. And that's all now you can... And for a year or two, you'd be able to walk around and look at it. And some of behind the Turkish lines as well uh, are, are just absolutely brilliant. They've got the, their graveyard uh, up on Battleship Hill. It's been uncovered. And it's just... The whole program's great. Some people worry that it will destroy the battlefield. To them I say, What's the point of having it if you can't see it? And the roots are, are still there. I think I think it's worthwhile. And
0: anyway, we're alive now. <laughs> I want to see it. It's a great, I mean it, it was one of the greatest things I've ever done on a battlefield was walking with a trench map in hand, a complete trench system, because the difference there is unlike you know, preserved trench systems on the Western Front or elsewhere, uh, and even at Gallipoli, you know, it's if you go to the Neck or Johnson's Jolly, they, they've been manicured a bit. They've changed over time. They're, they're trenches, and so you can stand them in a kind of abstract way and go, okay, I'm in a trench at Gallipoli. But Silt Spur, because it had just been uncovered literally weeks before, we could walk at trench map in hand and see every bay. I remember coming around the corner and saying, well, if I'm reading this correctly, there'll be a, an officer's headquarter dugout somewhere here. And as I walked around the corner, you were standing in it. You were standing in the dugout, still cut into the wall of the remaining track. Where have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, I'm, I'm getting amazing. super excited now. <coughs> for back there, mate. It's just, it's extraordinary. Well, I mean, it, it, is, it was an amazing
3: opportunity. And I think the idea of doing a bit at a time is a good idea. Just reveal it and then let it grow back and then, that, that's the best way to do it. And not to do it all at once, because that, that would be damaging, I think. It's an enormous amount yep. of work for people as well. That's one thing we should pay tribute to, the Turkish workforce who, who cleared these areas. I mean, I wouldn't fancy doing it. It's a big, what is it, two or three hundred yards by a couple of hundred yards, that area they've cleared. And it's, it's heavy going. They've done well
0: hard workers. Yeah, they they're doing wonderful work. The Turkish uh, the Turkish authorities over there and the Turkish people are doing a wonderful job of yes. of maintaining this such an important link with history and Pete it's I mean we can't say enough about Gallipoli and about the importance no. of the landscape, <laughs> the importance of the terrain. We've got to get back over there mate and walk it again and I'm looking forward to a cold FS Pilsner at the end of the end of a long sweaty day, but uh, mate it's it's always great to catch up with you and just hear your enthusiasm for walking the ground at Gallipoli <laughs> and I would encourage everyone to do it at some stage in their life. It's a, it's a unique place it is okay then (laughs) hey pete thank you very much for your time it's always a pleasure mate cheers bye matt well thank you so much to the two peters who joined us to talk all about the battlefields of france and belgium and of gallipoli they're just such special places and i hope that you've come away with some understanding of why it's so important to get out there and walk the ground and what a special experience it is at the end of the day It's the landscape that defined these battles, that defined these campaigns, and it's the landscape that we can still visit today and that we can still connect with as we learn about this history and walk the ground in the footsteps of the Anzacs. So if you haven't had a chance to do it, to walk the ground on the Western Front or Gallipoli, I hope that you will very soon in the future because the battlefields are still there. They're still giving up their secrets and they still have a lot to tell us even a century later. So thank you for joining us. For this Anzac Day, I hope it's been a special time for you. And like always, on this special day, lest we forget. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you would like to support the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. Firstly, you can become a member. For a small monthly fee, you could subscribe to the show and listen to every episode ad free and also receive exclusive episodes directly from Pete and I. So see the link in the show notes to sign up at ACAST Plus and become a member of the show. Also, if you want to make a one-off contribution, you can now buy us a coffee. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash battlewalks and you can make a small contribution there. See you next week.